Lesson 4 for January 17 to 23, Divine Wisdom. Sabbath afternoon, January 17, 2015. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Proverbs and all the gems that it brings to us, but underlying all this is the theme of wisdom. And today we're studying about that, through this week. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will come and guide us, that we may have the wisdom that you want for us, and that we may show that wisdom to those about us in sharing the gospel with them. Please come with us this week as we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Proverbs 8.22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. Let's read that again. Proverbs 8.22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way before his works of old. At this stage in Proverbs, wisdom reappears. Well, it started in... uh, Chapter 1, let's look at verses 20 and 21. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. And it's clear from the text for this week that wisdom is truth. The truth as it exists in God, the source and foundation of all truth. This accent on the absolute character of truth contrasts with some contemporary thinking, especially in the West, in which truth is seen as relative, contingent, cultural, with one person's truth being different from someone else's. But this concept is not biblical. My truth should be the same as yours, simply because truth is universal. It does not belong to anyone in particular, but to all humanity, whether or not all humanity recognises it. Interestingly enough, Pilate's famous question to Jesus, what is truth, in John 18.38, came in response to Jesus' statement in verse 37, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Truth, absolute truth exists, and it even speaks to us. What matters for us is whether or not we will listen to and obey what it is saying. Sunday, January 18, Wisdom Cries Out. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. According to these verses, what is the value of wisdom? Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand at the top of the high hill, beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates, at the entry of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence, and you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen. 
for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All of the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find all knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mind and sound wisdom. I am understanding, I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule, and nobles, all the judges of the earth, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honour are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. Wisdom is so important that it must reach everyone. God created all human life, and Christ died for each one of us. So wisdom, the knowledge of God, and the salvation he offers, is for every human being. Look at the words used to describe wisdom's vocal presence. Cry out, lift up her voice, call, voice, speak, opening lips, mouth, lips, words. However, one understands these metaphors. What is clear is that wisdom is to be communicated. It is to be heard by all who will listen. After all, as we saw last week, what wisdom says is a matter of life and death. Eight times wisdom talks about the truthfulness of her words. The description of wisdom here, interestingly enough, parallels the portrayal of the Lord in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. He is the rock, his rock is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. This parallel, of course, should not be surprising, because God, as the creator of all things, is the foundation of all truth, as we read in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Question. Read Proverbs 8, verses 10 to 11 again. What do these verses say about wisdom? Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. So many people have lived and still live in ignorance, in folly, and in darkness. Many live with no hope at all, or with false hopes. What makes this sad state of affairs even sadder 
is that wisdom and truth are so wonderful, filled with hope and promise for a better life now, and the surety of eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth, all thanks to the sacrifices of Jesus. All the wealth in the world means nothing in contrast to the knowledge of God. We read about that in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, which reads, Then I looked at all the works that my hands had done, and on the labour in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly, as light excels darkness. So to finish the day, read Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, and ask yourself how well your life reflects the crucial truths of these words. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Monday, January 19, Wisdom and Creation Question. Read Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 to 31. How is wisdom related to creation? Well, let's begin at verse 22. The Lord also possessed me long ago when his way began, before any of his works. I was appointed from everlasting, from the first, before the earth began. I was born before there were oceans, before there were springs filled with water. I was born before the mountains were settled in their places, and before the hills, when he had not yet made land or fields, on the first dust of the world. When he set up the heavens, I was there. When he traced the horizon of the surface of the ocean. When he established the skies above. When he determined the currents in the ocean. When he set a limit for the sea, so the waters would not overstep his command, when he traced the foundation of the earth. I was beside him as a master craftsman. I made him happy day after day. I rejoiced in front of him all the time, found joy in his inhabited world, and delighted in the human race. And that's from the God's Word translation. In these texts, wisdom is mysteriously related to the Lord as the Creator. This poem shares many common words with the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, and even reflects its literary structure, organized around the three basic elements of heaven, water, and earth. The intention of this parallel is to emphasize the primary credential of wisdom. If God himself used wisdom to create, if wisdom is the oldest tool, older than the universe itself and fundamental to its existence, we should all the more use wisdom in everything we do in life. There is also a strong emphasis on the divine origin of wisdom. The first word of the poem is the word Yahweh, who is said to have begotten the second word, wisdom. The Hebrew word Kana 
translated as possessed by the New King James Version, has the connotation of begetting rather than creating. The next word is the technical word that is associated with the Genesis creation, reshet, or beginning, which is found in the first verse of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Yet the word beginning in Proverbs 8.22 is used somewhat differently from the way it is used in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1.1, the word is related to the creation itself, while in Proverbs 8.22, the word is related to God himself, to his way, derek, which means his nature. Thus, wisdom is part of the very nature of God himself. Wisdom, therefore, is situated in time, even before the creation of the universe. The existence of wisdom at that time, when only God was present, traces the antiquity of wisdom from everlasting. So, wisdom does not originate in us, but rather is revealed to us. It is something that we learn, something that is taught to us. It is not what we generate out of ourselves. Surely, to walk in our own light is to walk in darkness. We are told that Jesus is the true light which gives light to every man, as we read in John chapter 1, verse 9. Every man needs it too. Tuesday, January 20, Rejoicing in Creation In Genesis chapter 1, we see that each step of the creation concludes with the same refrain, God saw that it was good. In Genesis 1 verse 4, God saw the light was good, so God separated the light from the darkness. And verse 10 reads, God named the dry land earth, the water which came together he named sea, God saw that it was good. And verse 12. The earth produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds, each according to its own type, and trees bearing fruit with seeds, each according to its own type. God saw that they were good. And verse 18. To dominate the day and the night, and to separate the light from the darkness, God saw that it was good. And verse 21. So God created the large sea creatures, every type of creature that swims around in the water and every type of flying bird. God saw that they were good. And verse 25. God made every type of wild animal, every type of domestic animal, and every type of creature that crawls on the ground. God saw that they were good. And verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and that was very good. There was evening, then morning, the sixth day. The last step, verse 31, goes even further. It was very good. The Hebrew word for good contains the idea of enjoyment, and it also implies relationship. At the end of the whole creation week, God pauses to fully enjoy his creation. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Heaven and earth and everything in them were finished. 
By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. On the seventh day, he stopped the work he had been doing. Then God blessed the seventh day and set it apart as holy, because on that day, he stopped all his work of creation. The time of this pause, the Sabbath, is blessed. Likewise, our poem concludes with wisdom's enjoying the creation. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 8, verses 30 and 31. I was beside him as a master craftsman. I made him happy day after day. I rejoiced in front of him all the time, found joy in his inhabited world, and delighted in the human race. Wisdom's rejoicing reflects God's rejoicing at creation. This rejoicing not only happens daily at each step of creation, but also crowns the work of creation, when the creation, or of life on earth, itself was completed. In Proverbs 8, we find the reason for wisdom's rejoicing. My delight was with the sons of men, verse 31. At the end of the creation week, on Sabbath, God entered into a relationship with humans. The immediate implication of this divine pause and rejoicing after the work of the week has implications for the human experience of Sabbath. Gerhard F. Hazel writes in The Sabbath in Scripture and History, page 23, following the pattern of the Creator, he too may look back upon his finished work with joy, pleasure and satisfaction. In this way, man may rejoice not only in God's creation, but also in his responsible rulership, not exploitation over creation. And that's actually from Kenneth A. Strand, The Sabbath in Scripture and History, and he was quoting Gerhard F. Hazel. So to finish today, read Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, and Colossians 2, verse 3, and Revelation 3, verse 14, and John 1, 1 to 14. What do these verses tell us about Jesus' role in the creation itself? Why is his role as creator so important in understanding his role as our Redeemer? Well, first of all, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether they are kings or lords, rulers or powers. Everything has been created through him and for him. And chapter 2 and verse 3. God has hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. And then Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. To the messenger of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the witness who is faithful and true, the source of God's creation, says, I know what you have done, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. And John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And that reads, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was already with God in the beginning. 
Everything came into existence through him. Not one thing that exists was made without him. He was the source of life, and that life was the light for humanity. The light shines in the dark, and the dark has never extinguished it. God sent a man named John to be his messenger. John came to declare the truth about the light so that everyone would become believers through his message. John was not the light, but he came to declare the truth about the light. The real light, which shines on everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into existence through him, yet the world didn't recognize him. He went to his own people, and his own people didn't accept him. However, he gave the right to become God's children to everyone who believed in him. These are people who haven't been born in a physical way, from a human impulse or from a husband's desire to have a child. Their birth was from God. The Word became human and lived among us. We saw His glory. It was the glory that the Father shares with His only Son, a glory full of kindness and truth. Wednesday, January 21, Wisdom's Appeal The last few verses of this proverb return to the personal, to the practical application of what it means to have wisdom. By contrast, the intellectual knowledge about wisdom's pre-existence, about wisdom's presence at creation, is certainly deep. But in the Bible, truth must always, at some point, come down to the human level, and how we respond to what we have been given in Jesus. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 8, verses 32 to 36. What life and death message is given here? Now, sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who follow my ways. Listen to discipline and become wise. Do not leave my ways. Blessed is the person who listens to me, watches at my door day after day waits by my doorposts. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favour from the Lord. Whoever sins against me harms himself. All those who hate me love death. The Hebrew word translated as blessed in the New King James Version means happy, and that's how it's translated in the Revised Standard Version. In this passage, the word blessed is attached to two propositions. The first one describes an action. Blessed are those who keep my ways, verse 32. The same language is used in Psalm 119, verse 1 and 2, in regard to the law. Blessed are the undefiled who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. The second one describes an attitude. Blessed is the man who listens to me, in verse 34. It is not enough to have discovered the right way, we have to keep it. It is not enough to hear the word of God, we have to watch daily and follow what we know. As Jesus put it, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, Luke 11 verse 28. In My Life Today, page 162, we read, Is this the happiness desirable which is to be found in the path of disobedience? and transgression of physical and moral law? 
Christ's life points out the true source of happiness and how it is to be obtained. If they would be happy indeed, they should cheerfully seek to be found at the post of duty, doing the work which devolves upon them with fidelity, conforming their hearts and lives to the perfect pattern. And so to finish today, happiness can be an elusive thing. The more we strive for it, the harder it seems for us to attain it. Why should faithfulness to God, as opposed to the pursuit of happiness, be our first priority? Besides, which is more likely to produce happiness, and why? Seeking it, or seeking first the kingdom of God? Thursday, January 22, Either Or Following Wisdom's appeal, the inspired author of Proverbs 9 urges his audience to make a choice now between two lifestyles, wisdom or folly. The first and last six verses, verses 1 to 6 and 13 to 18, are symmetrical and bring out the contrast between the opposite camps. Question. Compare verses 1 to 6 and verses 13 to 18 in chapter 9, what is the difference between wisdom and folly? Well, first of all, verses 1 to 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live, and go in the way of understanding. And then verses 11 to 18. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. For she sits at the door of her house, on a seat by the highest places of the city, to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. There are three points here. One, Wisdom is efficient and is involved in creation. Seven verbs are used to describe her actions there, in verses 1 to 3. The seven pillars she has hewn, in verse 1, allude to the seven days of creation. Folly, in contrast, sits and does nothing, just pretending to be someone when in fact she is simple and knows nothing, as it says in verse 13. Point number two. Although wisdom and folly call the same audience, note the identical verses in 4 and 16, what they provide is essentially different. Wisdom invites her guests to eat the bread and drink the drink that she has prepared in verse 5. Folly offers nothing to eat or drink. She simply boasts about stolen provisions in verse 17. And point 3. Wisdom calls us to forsake foolishness and therefore to live. 
Folly is more tolerant. She does not demand that we forsake anything, but the result is death. Those who follow wisdom will be advancing. They will, as it says in verse 6, go in the way of understanding. Those who follow folly will be static, and as it says in verse 18, they will not know. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 to 9. How do the wise man and the wicked man respond to the instruction of wisdom? What makes the wise man wiser than the wicked man? Beginning at verse 7. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The key to wisdom is humility. The wise man is the man who is teachable and responds to instruction with an open mind. Wisdom comes only to the one who, like a child, feels the need to grow. This is why, in the most explicit manner, Jesus taught in Matthew 18, verse 3, Unless you become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Friday, January 23. From the book Patriarchs and Prophets, page 34. The Sovereign of the Universe was not alone in his work of beneficence. He had an associate, a co-worker, who could appreciate his purposes and could share his joy in giving happiness to created beings. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, John 1, verses 1 and 2. Christ, the Word, the only begotten of God, was one with the Eternal Father, one in nature, in character, in purpose, the only being that could enter into all the counsels and purposes of God. And the Son of God declares concerning himself, in Proverbs 8.22-30, to The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting." When he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was with him, as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Why is belief in the Genesis creation account the foundation of biblical wisdom? Why is the idea of evolution contrary to the Bible in every way? 2. Dwell more on the idea that true wisdom is something that we cannot generate of ourselves, but that must be revealed to us. What are some examples of important truths that we would never know other than their being revealed by divine inspiration? For instance, how could we know about Christ's death on the cross and what it offers were it not revealed? What about the seventh-day Sabbath or the second coming? 3. How does God's work, as revealed in Genesis 1, testify to the fact that good cannot be mixed with evil? What implications does your answer have for the idea that one could, for instance, 
incorporate an evolutionary worldview into the Genesis creation story? And question four. How does God's enjoyment of the creation help us to understand how we can have a deeper and richer Sabbath experience? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Being Ready for Whatever. Travis didn't know what to do with his camper. At the age of 12, Logan was the toughest kid in the cabin and wanted to be in charge of everyone and everything. One night, Logan decided he wasn't going to bed, so Travis and his co counselor came up with a plan. Okay, they told the obstinate camper, you can stay up as long as you read the Bible. Logan agreed, but he didn't have a Bible. In fact, he had never read one. So the co-counselor loaned Logan his Bible, and by the light of the moon and and a flashlight, the boy met the heroes of Genesis for the very first time. The next morning, Logan confided to his counsellors, I actually found some cool stories in there. He was especially interested in the story of Joseph and asked many questions, wondering how Joseph was able to do all that he did. Although Logan still acted tough, you could see the gears starting to turn as he wondered what we were all about, remembers Travis. It was kind of cool to see the change that took place over the week. Most of the kids who come to Camp Polaris don't know the Bible stories. Travis remembers a time when only one camper knew the story of David and Goliath. We're ministering to kids who don't grow up in Christian homes, who don't read the Bible. It takes a lot of prayer to help reach these kids, to know how to reach them. Travis, a senior mechanical engineering student at Walla Walla University, started working at Camp Polaris in 2011. In addition to being a counsellor, He has taught a variety of classes, including wakeboarding and model rocketry. I've loved it every summer. That's why I keep going back, he says. It's been an absolute blast. On top of that, I've learned a lot about trusting in God because you get in situations where you don't know how to make it through the week. But you always do. Then in hindsight, you see that even the tough things were a positive. It definitely is about learning to trust God. I think I'm a little more comfortable now with just being thrown into a situation. I've learned to be flexible and go with the flow and to be ready for whatever. Because you don't know what's going to happen next. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.